1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts.
2: Meditation, petition, adoration. So the idea is, if you can't find an hour in your day to pray... And, you know, you don't necessarily have to do those three kind of ways to pray. At least be consistent in your prayer life, that we can approach the throne of grace and find help in our time of need. And to seek His face and to just be still sometimes before Him. And not to talk, just to listen to His still, small voice. So pray.
1: Do you feel like you are missing out on a strong personal connection with God in your life? In today's teaching, Pastor Gary will show listeners the methods that the early church used to pray and how we can also experience more oneness with the Lord. Our prayer life should not only be centered around requests that we are making. Yes, the Lord loves to hear and meet our needs, but there should be an element of listening and praising Him as well. How can you improve your prayer life today? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts, chapter 2, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: I'm going to read verse 42 down through the end of the chapter, and then we'll come back and take a look particularly at verse 42. Verse 42. So underline this as I read it. It says they devoted themselves, meaning the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. I'm going to read that again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Now remember where we left off last time? It talked in verse 41 about how nearly 3,000, roughly 3,000 get saved because Peter has this privilege of preaching the first evangelical message there in Jerusalem when these bystanders overhear the, the, the 120 uh, believers meeting in an upper room. They over, the bystanders overhear them praising God in different languages. It's the gift of tongues. And these bystanders then ask, questions what is going on here what is happening these guys sound like they're drunk Peter gets up he says no they're not drunk as you suppose it's only nine o'clock in the morning it's not even happy hour yet and it's only nine o'clock in the morning they're not drunk this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel when God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh and your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions and and this is the work of God's spirit and Peter begins to proclaim the work of the spirit of God but primarily what does he do in chapter 2 he preaches the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when they hear the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, many thousands here, about 3,000, get saved. Now, that makes up the, the sum total of the early church. We're growing exponentially here pretty quickly. It starts with 120 in the upper room. That's it. The followers of Jesus are about 120, it tells us in the first couple chapters. Now it's about 3,000. And so the early church now is devoting themselves, here in verse 42, to four particular things. And this is very important, and if you take notes, please write these down. If you don't, you might want to be encouraged to do so. Because i got to tell you, Acts 2.42 is fundamental and foundational to everything that we do here at Cornerstone. And frankly, it's my opinion that it should be fundamental to what every church does, but I'm not sure that it is, okay? But here's the reason why it's fundamental. Because this is the model given to us of the early church. And there are four pillars to the early church here, this foundation of the early church. Note again, I'm going to put verse 42 right up on the screen for you so we can separate all four particular things that made up for the foundation of the early church. Again, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The very first thing that they did was they devoted themselves, I'm going to highlight it in the text, in the verse, the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? It means that they were devoted to the word of God, and they put a heavy emphasis on teaching the word of God. Now, the apostles' teaching, obviously, New Testament they didn't have, because the New Testament comes about as a result of apostolic writings. The apostles teaching had to do really with their scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, which is what we have as our Old Testament. So they're proclaiming and preaching the Old Testament. But listen, Christ is revealed throughout the pages of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. He's all through the Old Testament. There are more than 300 prophecies relating to the first coming of Christ. There are more than 3,000 prophecies related to the second coming of Christ. And as the apostles were explaining the scriptures, particularly primarily at first to jewish people and jewish listeners they were explaining and expressing how christ how messiah how jesus was revealed all through the pages of scripture now the apostolic writings the apostles teaching you have of course paul who is is inspired by the holy spirit to write about two-thirds of the new testament You have other writers like Peter, like John. These are also apostles and eyewitnesses of our Lord, Matthew. So when they compile their writings, now we have our New Testament. So we have both Old and New Testament. We have the inspired words through the prophets of old. We have the inspired words of God through the apostles. And thus we have Old Testament and New Testament. We have the completion, Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, which is why we put a heavy emphasis on teaching the Bible here. Because it was one of the first and most fundamental things about the early church. And if we want to follow as closely as we can to the pattern and the example of the early church, and we look at, okay, what are some of the things that they did? What did they devote themselves to? What can we learn today as a church in the 21st century from the first century church? And the first thing that it tells us here is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is the word of God. So we, we make no apologies for why on Wednesday nights, Saturday nights, Sunday mornings, men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, small home groups, uh, youth group, uh, children's classes. It is the reason why we teach the word of God, because it is the importance of the emphasis on who God is and the revelation of who he is and how we came to earth to die for our sins. It's his love letter to mankind. That's what the Bible is. It's God's love letter to mankind. And so the apostles, their teaching, their doctrine, King James says the apostles' doctrine, the early church devoted themselves to it. So so should we. Be devoted to the word of God. Second thing you see there in the verse, I'll highlight it for you, is fellowship. Fellowship. Now, it is, the word in the Greek, because the New Testament is written in Greek, the word in the Greek is koinonia. And it, again, translates Fellowship. Uh, Koinonia is a Greek word that means the kind of fellowship more than just casual acquaintances. But it speaks here of a relationship that people can have And quite honestly, it can only be gained through the common bond of knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior. Have you ever been, you you don't need necessarily, this isn't a show of hands question, but have you ever been somewhere where you, you never had met somebody and the day you meet them and you find out that they're a Christian, you instantly feel like you have something in common, you instantly relate to them on a level of Christ that sometimes you can't even relate to people that you are blood related to. Because it's this common bond of knowing Christ, and when you share that together, you have a fellowship that comes from what? It comes from the common relationship that you have in Christ. That common relationship is koinonia, fellowship. Now, in the text here, it tells us a little bit further down that they enjoyed fellowship in two ways. They enjoyed it corporately, in the larger church setting, because in verse 46, it says that they gathered daily in the temple courts. So that's that's the courtyard area of the temple. So that's kind of the group, larger group setting. But it also says in the latter part of verse 46 that they met together in their homes. So that's a small group setting where they had fellowship together. And I will tell you that the larger our church has gotten over the years, the more intentional we've had to become about making a larger church feel smaller. And one of the ways that we do that is to encourage people to get involved in small home group Bible studies. Now, we do call our small groups koinonia groups. It's right after this word in the Greek. And sometimes we abbreviate it as K-groups. And we've debated as a staff over the years, maybe Koinonia is too confusing of a word, and we should just opt for something like, you know, home Bible study groups, or some churches call them shepherd groups, or fellowship groups, whatever. You know, it doesn't really matter what what we call them. The the importance is, you should probably be in one if you can. Because the significance of having fellowship on a small group level is important. Now, by the way, just a little plug for our K-group ministry. We have about 55 groups right now. About 650 people from our church are involved in small groups. It's a healthy part of what we're doing here. I think it would be great for there to be even more than that because you'll never get to know someone and share common experiences and pray for each other and encourage each other and dig out Scripture a little bit deeper if you're just kind of passing from one service to the next here. I mean, you can do that. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on anybody. I'm just saying that if you want to really walk through life experience with other people, it's going to be very hard to do it just because you come to a service or two here at Cornerstone in a larger church setting. We need to find small groups. And some of you ladies are involved in ladies' groups and some of the men in the men's Bible studies. And then we have these koinonia groups that are for all kinds of people, uh, all stages of seasons of life that meet throughout the area, and it's a good thing to be involved in. So you can go to cornerstonechapel.net. Look at the drop-down for the ministries. Look at K-groups and see if you want to get involved because it's a great opportunity to get to know people and to walk through life. And i got to tell you, I have heard so many stories about how when, for example, somebody ends up in the hospital and it's your K-group that rallies around you and brings meals to your home and comes to visit you in the hospital or you experience a death in, in, in the family. It's your K-group that is going to be visiting you and saying, are you okay, and how can we pray for you? That K-group ministry is is significant for developing the vital friendships that we need and the fellowship in the body of Christ. That's what the early church was doing. And so we need to be intentional about it, too. The, the ministry of the Word, the teaching of God's Word. Number two, fellowship in corporate and small group settings. Number three, they also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now... That is a common expression for chowing down together. All right, you want to break bread together? Let's have a meal together. That's not what it means in the context. It actually is going to mean that a little bit later, but in this context, it is more than likely a reference to what we just shared together a moment ago, communion or the Lord's Supper. Some of your traditions might call it the Eucharist. That just simply is a Greek word that means Thanksgiving. So that is what we do regularly around here to remember what Christ has done for us on the cross. Breaking of bread, his body, the cup, his blood, a reminder of his body and his blood that was broken and shed for us on the cross. So they did that regularly. So we never want to forget this. And we have to always remember what Christ has done for us. So communion was a regular part of what they did. And then finally, of course, prayer. Prayer is an important aspect of all of our lives. It should be, and it should be an important aspect in the life of our church. Prayer is probably the most underutilized privilege that we are given. As I've said this many times before, I'll say it again, I've never met a person that told me they probably have prayed too much in their life. It's always the opposite. We always know we should pray more. We always know that we should seek the Lord more. And more than just because we have needs. We should come before him and seek his face in order to just sometimes listen. We're going to see in a minute here, uh, later when we get to chapter three, Lord willing, tonight, that, uh, that they go to the house of the Lord for prayer. The Jews had three common times for prayer, 9 a.m., 12 noon, and 3 p.m. And each time that they prayed, it would be for one hour. And the model for their prayer for that one hour would be broken down into three segments. It would be 15 minutes of meditation. They would just pause 15 minutes and just focus on the Lord, just meditate, just just think about the Lord, just to be still before the Lord. 15 minutes of meditation, 30 minutes of petition, asking the Lord, requesting, and then 15 minutes of adoration. So that's typically how they would break down their prayer time. Meditation, petition, adoration. So the idea is if you can't find an hour in your day to pray and you know you don't necessarily have to do those three kind of ways to pray, at least be consistent in your prayer life that we can approach the throne of grace and find help in our time of need and to seek his face and to just be still sometimes before him and not to talk, just to listen to his still small voice. So pray. And if you love to pray, Uh, we want to invite you here. We have 30 minutes of prayer before Sunday morning service from uh, 8 o'clock until 8.30 in our chapel and 30 minutes before Wednesday night service from 6.15 to 6.45. If you want to join in on those prayer times, come early before Sunday morning, first service in the morning and Wednesday nights and go to the chapel and pray. We have women's prayer groups, men's prayer groups. It's the reason why on many Wednesday nights we take time to pray with you all during the worship time because prayer is an important component in the life of the believer and in the life of the church. Jesus said when he entered the temple of the Lord and he cast out the money changers, remember he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. It's interesting, he quotes from the prophet Jeremiah, but he doesn't say my house shall be a house of praise. He doesn't say my house shall be a house of fellowship. He says my house shall be called a house of prayer. And prayer is a tremendous gift to enter the throne room of God's presence. So these are the things that the early church devoted themselves to, and then these are the things that are important around here, the teaching of God's word, fellowship, communion, and prayer. Now, let me show you here from the rest of this chapter what God ended up doing as a result of them devoting themselves to those four things. It tells us here in verse 43 that God performed miraculous signs and wonders— Notice that, verse 43, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. They were just the instruments, okay? God was doing the miracles through the apostles. And he added to the church, verse 47, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And God was saving souls there as well. It was God's work and God's miraculous power that was doing uh, what they were experiencing and seeing. And then this is what it produced in the people. These final verses tell us this, that first they, they were filled with awe, verse 43 says. Uh, it says they were filled with fear, King James uh, Version says, and it actually is the Greek word phobos, or we get our English word phobia. It really does mean fear. Uh, the early church understood what a healthy fear of God was about. Now, fear is a tricky thing. Because if you fear God in the wrong way, you'll never approach him, and you're going to be afraid of him like he's always out to harm you. But on the other hand, there's a healthy kind of fear. There's awesome reverence and respect and holy fear of God because he is pure and perfect and mighty and glorious in all his ways. You know, I I love the part of the hymn, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fear relieved.'" So in that great part of the, amazing, of, the, of the hymn Amazing Grace, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. If you have a healthy understanding of grace, then you will also have a healthy understanding of the fear of God. But twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fear relieved, because it wasn't a crippling kind of a fear, it was a reverential kind of a fear, and we must have a fear of the Lord. They also then, verse 45, it says, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. They were very generous towards others. What what happened as a result of those four pillars of the early church was was that it would produce in the people this generosity towards others. Now, please make note: this is not encouraging socialism. It looks like it there in verse forty-five, where it's like, "Well, look, let's just be the early church, bro. You know, we we sell all our possessions and goods. We come together. We live in a commune as one. Yeah." That's not really what they're talking about here, okay? Don't go selling your house and your furniture and moving into in a commune with other believers. Here's what you need to understand about the context. The context is, first of all, until chapter 10, the the entire totality of the early church were Jews. You don't see Gentiles till Cornelius in chapter 10. So all the believers here in Jesus Christ, the early church was made up exclusively in the first almost 10 years. When you look at the book of Acts, it covers about 30 years over about as many chapters. It almost goes roughly averaging about a year a chapter. So, you know, we're, we're a couple of years into it. And, and the, the makeup of the early church was exclusively Jewish. Let me tell you what happens when you become a believer in Christ, first century, and you're a Jew. You are instantly shunned and rebuked and alienated from your family. Your family disowns you. Orthodox Jews, even today, strict Orthodox Jews, especially the Hasidic Jews, if someone from their community, a Jewish community, believes and accepts Jesus Christ as Messiah... They have a funeral for you. That's how much they disown you. They shun you. So you're a Jew, first century here. You believe in Jesus. You're now shunned by the Jewish community, for, for the most part. You, nobody's going to come buy any of your products at your business. You're, you're going to go out of business. Uh, nobody is going to sell you anything. You're going to become pretty much destitute. So what the early church did here was they pooled their resources for the sake of survival. This is not socialism here. This is survival. That's what's happening. They pooled their resources together because they were out of jobs and they were out of work and they were out of income. And so they they did this as a means of survival. And the fact of the matter is that the Bible teaches and puts strong emphasis on having a good, strong work ethic. And the Bible, it tells us in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Okay, so I know that there are a lot of times people get laid off and they lose their jobs and it has nothing to do, it's just unfortunate. But for, for those who are just sitting around and they don't want to get a job, the Bible says if you don't work, you're not going to eat. So it puts an emphasis on strong work ethic. In fact, it says in 1st Timothy 5, 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate household, he is, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. King James says an infidel you know how that word is thrown around today about the infidels? The Bible uses that word for somebody who does not provide for his own family. So there is a strong emphasis on having a good work ethic. This verse in verse 45 of chapter 2 of Acts is not trying to encourage socialism and just pull your resources together. It was encouraging survival because of the day. But it fostered a spirit of generosity towards others. Um, and, you know, by the way, that said... Even though the Bible doesn't encourage a, a socialistic lifestyle, if somebody feels led by the Lord to, you know, end up selling all your possessions and giving it to the poor or going on the mission field or, you know, supporting whatever, I mean, that's, that's, that's between you and the Lord. I'm just saying as a pattern you don't see this repeated in the rest of the new testament so you you can be faithful to the lord and give all your stuff away and I'll, you know i'll give you my address if you want but uh, but other than that it's not suggesting a pattern here it's just uh, what they did out of survival it also tells us that they in it produced friendship among the body verse 44 all the believers were together had everything in common verse 46, every day they continue to meet together so you see the camaraderie and the friendship and then verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people they were rejoicing and they worshiped the Lord. so that is what was happening here in the early church. very important verses there at the end of chapter two open ocean, jump in and you'll find the corner your connection run towards your new life."
1: Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. What you've heard today is just one message from a series going through the book of Acts. Pastor Gary has provided some insightful information about the early church, and you can't help but be inspired by what you read about as the Christian church was birthed. Who are the people you admire and look to as examples of courage and faith? Is it Peter or maybe James being the first martyr? How about Stephen and the example he set? Or perhaps you're a fan of Aquila and Priscilla, a great model of a couple who followed after Jesus. Then there's the all-famous Apostle Paul, who paved the way for much missionary work to the nations. All of these people were striving to proclaim the good news of the gospel, and we hope your heart is ignited to do the same. You can reach people, too, near and far in your neighborhood, online, and even those across the world. And if you feel the Lord leading you as He did Paul, you may even find yourself following the Lord to witness in another country. In the meantime, you're welcome to listen to more messages from this series in Acts. You can do so by going to cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so glad you've tuned in today to Cornerstone Connection.
2: That you've got no place to go, but still you know. But still you know you're not alone.